0: There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. When I think about that, um, kind of that was a thought as I was reading through this passage. um, It made me think like, how many of us really believe that to be true? Right? When we read that in Scripture, that's in Proverbs 26. How many people really actually believe that? Um, Oftentimes we don't. Right? And, and I think if you're the person who doesn't believe that, you're like, ah, yeah, you know, uh, maybe that doesn't apply to me. I think something that helps us recognize that, that at least principally this is true for all of us, is when we think about the last time we got upset, right? the last time you got upset. Usually it's because things didn't go your way, things didn't quite work out the way that you would hope they did. Uh, people don't listen to you, people don't like you or people just don't understand you, right? These are a lot of the things that go through our mind when we get upset. Now that type of train of thought, right, when I think about that verse, that type of train of thought doesn't produce life, right? Thinking that way, making everything about us, it doesn't produce life, it only produces death. Now that death may not be physical death in us, but a lot of times it results in death to relationships, death of peace of mind, Uh, death to joy in our lives. And ultimately, right, if everything is what we do is what seems right to us, we disregard God's law, we disregard God for who he is, we know what will happen, right? It, It leads to death. And as I thought about that, this is a recurring theme through scripture from Genesis 3 through, through revelation, right? Is man doing what is right in his own eyes. This, this is something that we see over and over and over again. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I know me trying to be honest with myself, I know the results or the roots of every frustration or most, if not all, fits of rage, bitterness, depression, or any bad mood that I find myself in tends to come from that. My eyes are not fixed on the maker of heavens and on the of heaven and earth. Uh, they're not heeding and meditating upon the law of God, the word of God, the, the truths and promises that are found in it, and he who has directed my life and, and laid out a path for my life from the foundations of this world. So, if you're like me, right, this is, this is where I find myself today. You like what you like, you know what you know, and your experiences, the things that you've gone through, tend to serve as as what you use to make your decisions and when we think about that right we think about our history everyone's history there's there's nothing new under the sun that's what the scriptures tell us right what has been has been what will be will be but there's nothing new under the sun and so when i think about that i think about the way i make decisions the things that seem right to me i think about my train of thought your train of thought every person that's ever lived the way they think. Um, I think this all kind of applies to us the same. And what that is, is it's, it's a self-centered way of thinking, a self-preserving way of thinking. These are the things that tend to seem right in my own eyes. Does this serve my best interest? Does this help preserve me and the things that I enjoy? Does this give me peace of mind, right? What, what are, these are the things that seem right to us. And as we look at our passage today, this is the same thing that Saul thought. Right? And we'll see what the result of that type of thinking leads to in his life. So let's turn to 1 Samuel 31. Uh, we're going to be reading the entire chapter, but we'll see how this plays out in his life and how he is, let me see, oh, we don't have it up there. Well, it was up there a minute ago, the man after Saul's own heart, right? We'll see who that is, right? Spoiler alert, it's Saul. Uh, but we'll see how he is the man that is after his own heart, and as we do that, we're going to kind of focus on three specific points to kind of help our, wrap our minds around that. And so those three things, before we read, uh, are this, right? Frailty, or his frailty, the frailty, excuse me, the fallout, and the faith. These are the three things we're going to talk about. The frailty, the fallout, and the faith, right? So this is the frailty of Saul in his death, the fallout of Saul after his death, and then the faith. That Saul had that ultimately led to his death. All right, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and read, and then we will pray, and we will get right into our time. So we're going to read the entire chapter. Uh, it's all 13 verses, and we'll, hear, and we'll go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw, saw that Saul was dead, he fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities their cities excuse me and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Dearly Father, this is your word. It is God breathed. It is profitable for us for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. May this be the, the uh, desire of our hearts as we come to you in your word and seek to pull the truths from it and apply it to our lives. Uh, this is our desire today. May your people hear from you and uh, may we be blessed for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give you thanks, Amen. All right, so, like I said, the frailty, the fallout, and the faith. So first, we're going to look at the frailty of Saul uh, in his his death. So this, we're going to see this in the first seven verses. First seven verses. This is that first paragraph uh, in this chapter. So to get us there, I want to try to recap a little bit of where we've been. Uh, if, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks when Pastor Ricky was preaching the last couple of chapters, I'm going to kind of overview that and then we'll get into where we are today, why, how we find ourselves here with Saul's death. So the events from chapter 28 through chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1, all these events that occur over these, these uh, five five chapters, occur approximately over the course of 10 days. It's like a little over a week that occurs, and specifically chapters 29 or 30, yeah, 30 and 31 happen on the same day. They're just giving us different accounts, but that's kind of what's going on here. There is this This battle that is being prepared for, the Philistines are getting ready for it. Uh, David is with them. He had been kind of plundering and and attacking the Israelites. But then as they're preparing for this battle, the leaders of the Philistines see David and his troops and say, get them out of here. They're not going to go to war with us and serve as some sort of sleeper cell for the Israelites and and turn on us in the middle of the battle. So they get kicked out. And then uh, as Saul learns of the, the armies of the Philistines, he gets scared and he's praying to God to, to give him some sort of answer, some clarity on what's going to happen. God refuses to answer him, so he seeks out a medium from Endor, and then he's told about his impending death. He's basically told, yeah, th- this is what's going to happen. You're going to die. And then we come to the day where we're, we're reading today in chapter 31, and, you know, he dies. He ends up getting killed. Well, not only does he get killed or does he kill himself, he's then decapitated, stripped of his armor, him and his sons are hung uh, on the wall in Bethshan and then the Gileadites come later and recover his body, cremate him, and then they bury his bones. Now if we were to back up to last week, once again, this is, these are simultaneous events, right? The same day David is, is uh, having victory over the Malachites is the same day Saul is, is losing his life and his armies are losing their battle with the Philistines. Now, what we see with these two chapters, and we've seen it throughout the book of Samuel, is a lot of comparing and contrasting by the author. You kind of see uh, with Eli versus Samuel and the way that these, these uh, prophets are of God. Uh, then we see with Saul and David, these comparing and contrast, and this kind of culminates uh, with these two chapters where in chapter 30, God's favor is over him and we see victory. And then in Saul's judgment, the God's judgment of Saul, we see his death, right? So these are kind of things that are kind of going back and forth and they culminate with where we find ourselves today. And so why is there a judgment for Saul, right? I think a lot of times when we hear about stuff or we read the Bible, there's like a, um, we feel bad for people that receive judgment in Scripture, as we should, right? There's, there's like this you know, they're human like us. We know we're broken and fallen, and so there's kind of like, how oh, did they have to get that, right? We kind of have that idea. So what was, what was the reason for God judging Saul in this chapter? Well, it wasn't like it just happened all of a sudden that he did one wrong thing, and then he was, he was condemned. We see this through, throughout the life of Saul. We see lots of his frailties, okay? And that's what we're going to kind of talk about uh, time and time again for Saul, his character— Right uh, shines through in the life of of Saul as his reign as king, and we see this throughout the letter. Terrible decision making, right? He's doing what seems right in his own eyes, time and time and time again. And so I want to try to give us some of those examples so we're familiar with where Saul finds himself today. And we're going to just kind of skip over a couple of chapters and and look at these things in First Samuel. So. Saul is the anointed king of God, right? He is God's anointed for the people of, of Israel. And so that's, that's where he finds himself. Chapter 10, that's when this happens, right? He's anointed king over Israel. Chapter 11, right, we see good things. We see him defeating the Ammonites. Uh, the Ammonites were going to Jabesh Gilead. Their desire was to over, overtake them, and they were willing to work out a deal with them where if they just plucked out their right eyes, they'd they let them go. Well, then they they take some time to to do this. Saul catches wind of it, goes and delivers him, right? So there's good things happen in the life of Saul so far. But then we get to chapter 13, and this is when Saul offers, he he doesn't hear from the prophet Samuel soon enough, and he's fearing the people, so he decides to offer a sacrifice himself. Samuel Samuel gets there, catches wind of this uh, sacrifice that's offered and this is when we get the first prophecy of the kingdom going to be ripped away from Saul uh, for the decisions he's making, the unfaithfulness that he's showing. Chapter 14, Saul makes a rash vow before the Lord that no one's to eat until they have victory. They're going through this forest, honey's dripping out of the trees, and Jonathan eats some of that, right? So this is Saul's son. So we see the the foretelling of this vow uh, that causes the death of his son, we're, you know, we're seeing this kingdom being rip, ripped away from him. But then ultimately we come to chapter 15 and this is when Saul is battling the Malachites. He's told to go just eradicate the people, man, woman, child, livestock, everything. He's told to just get rid of everything, kill them all. Well, what does Saul do? He goes, he kills most of them, he captures the king keeps the choice livestock, and wants to af- offer sacrifice to God. Saul Samuel catches wind of this, and then he's told once again, this kingdom's going to be ripped from your hands. And then it just gets worse from there, right? He slaughters the Levitical priest. Uh, he seeks to kill David. Uh, he makes a, a complete mockery of this this throne that he has been granted, this, this role as representative for God on earth. He just makes a complete mockery of this... Um, of this kingdom, right, that, that he has been placed. And he does this because he is doing what seems right in his own eyes. So when we think about that, what is this frailty that we see in the life of Samuel? What, what, is, what is so frail or broken about him? Well, I think the answer is, is pretty straightforward and simple from what we've seen and what we've discussed so far, it's, it's his faith. Saul's faith is, is frail, it's broken, it's, it's dead. Right? It's his faith is dead. It's a dead faith that he has. And his works has shown where his faith has led him. Right? Instead of revering God, instead of trusting God in what he has said or fearing God and, and what, who God is, he has desired or his desire for himself, what we've seen from him is that he's revered this title that he holds as king. He's trusted in himself and the decisions that he seeks to make. And then he's ultimately feared the people, and that's been the motivation for all the uh, terrible decisions that he's made as king. Now, if he was more, what we've seen from that is that he was more concerned what the people thought about him than what God had commanded of him. Right, that, that's what we see here is, is a, just a, a fear of man versus a fear of God. And I think when we think about this in, in Saul's life, like it's, we can kind of shake our heads and be like, man, this dude, you were in the the, the prime position and people have to listen to you, right? God has anointed you king. Uh, these do, these people have to do everything you say. Why didn't you just do what you were supposed to? Uh, so it's, it's easy for us to kind of shake our head and be like, you know, I, if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, but I think if, if we're being honest with ourselves, we may not be king or queens in our lives. Um, but I, I guarantee that each and every one of us have someone, if not multiple people, that we fear in a similar way that Saul did his people. Now, if you're if you doubt that, right, I want to ask a couple of questions or if, if you're kind of unsure about that, I want to ask a couple of questions for us. Um, because for one, our life isn't at risk, right? Saul could have maybe thought that the risk of mutiny could have taken him off this throne and he could have been killed or or whatever. Uh, And we're, most of us are not there, right? Most of us aren't fearing for our lives that someone's just gonna kill us, right? But we do have people in our lives that we are scared to death of. You know, really, ultimately, I think we are scared to not have their approval. Right? It, it may be uh, different things, and I want to ask some questions because I think that's a, a big thing for us. Right, It may not be the exact reasons that Saul had, but I think all of us have things in our lives where they cause us to make compromises in the decisions that we make. So here's a couple of questions to, to ask yourself. Right, if, if, you, if you don't think you really have a similar fear of man that, uh, that Saul had, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but mentally, just kind of imagine your hand up, right? First question is, are you a Christian, right? You're like, yeah, yeah I'm a Christian, right? Yeah, so, okay, so most of us, whoever here that claims to be a Christian, right, you're going to, keep your, you're going to have your hand raised in your mind once again. Uh, next question I want to ask, how many of you today would be crippled by the fear of say I was to ask you or someone was to ask you hey there's a guy that's walking outside that, that you don't know go share the gospel with him just go out there and stru- spark a conversation and share the gospel with him i think there's some of us here that going to be like oh i don't i don't know like i'll try you know but some people it, it's it's crippling fear to go to a complete stranger and talk about Jesus, right, I mean, it, it's, if we're just being honest with ourselves, there's some people that it's just, it's not that easy, right, um, what if this is you, right, I ask you right now, hey, come up here and, and pray for us, would you be willing to come up here and pray for us right now, right, I see some smiles where it's like, I ain't the one, right, that, that ain't me, I, I'm not about to get up in front of people and pray, um, or it's just, hey, you've got a loved one. How many of you have loved ones that you haven't shared the gospel with because of that fear of rejection? Right? Like, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, you know, they're very intellectual and they're stuck in their ways. And I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not there yet. I, I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what to say. Uh, I don't want them to think poorly of me or whatever, right? I, I think those are all things that go through our heads and, and cripple us. And prevent us from doing the things that God has called us to. They cause us to compromise in our walk before the Lord. Now, when we think about that, okay, we said Saul did all these things out of the fear of man versus the fear of God. Now, if we think about us in our lives, right, not willing to come up here, not willing to share the gospel with someone, not willing to share the gospel with loved ones, people that we we say that we love, right? If we're not willing to do those things, is that because we fear God or is it because we fear man? You can't say amen, you got to say ouch, right? Like, is, are we, I mean, I'm right there too, right? There's people in my life that I just, I haven't done it, right? And, I, and, and we all do that, right? So is that, is that fear of God? Are we fearing God more than we're fearing man or are we fearing man more than we fear God, so why do I say this right? I say this because every last one of us if 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 the answer to that question or any any other thing right you can think about some people have really weird uh i shouldn't say weird have very outlandish views of the end times right and and when you think about that like with the mark of the beast and being uh persecuted and stuff, there is this dread that comes over you because you're like. I don't know how I would react in that moment, right? If I was given, you know, if I was being tortured or, or threatened with my life or my family was threatened to be taken away from me, I don't know how I would respond in that situation, right? Whatever the case may be, if it's fear of evangelizing, fear of man, whatever, right? All these are, are irrational fears uh, because of who God is versus the, the way that we view man. So, so why do I say that? Why am I bringing these things up when we think about Saul and then we turn that, that, um, that light back at us? Uh, the reason I say that is because if, if we're truly being honest with ourselves, if we take an honest assessment of who we are, every last one of us is scared, weak, and pitiful people, all of us. That, that's who we are apart from the grace of God, right? Every last one of you out there, all of y'all, <laughs> are scared, weak, and pitiful people, me included, right? But I'm, we're making this about you right now. I've been dealing with this all week, <laughs> uh, but that—that's right. That, thats who we are. You're not good enough, right? You're not. You're not good enough. You're—you're—you're you're, you're not strong enough. You're not, right? Think, think about times when heartache come. Are you—are you strong enough then? No. You're not brave enough, right? We already talked about evangelizing and doing the things that we're called to do. We're, we're not brave enough. We're not confident enough. Uh, the reason a lot of times we don't evangelize is because we don't feel we're smart enough um, or we're not wise enough, right? These are all things that we're not. We're, we're none of these things in and of ourselves. When it comes to us and our own strength, none of us are enough. <clears throat> so when we, when we think about that, right, when we trust in ourselves, when we trust in our performance, our track record, well I've been able to do these things in the past so the next time it comes up I should be fine. When we, when we trust in our reputation, well they should know me well enough that, that, that that's not really who I am or our experiences, right? Every other time I've done this it's led to this result so things should be fine this time around, right? When we, when we trust in these things, things that we can see, touch, hold, feel, uh, any of those things, performance, track record, reputation, experiences, All of these things are vanity. They're all a mist. They're all frail. They're broken. And and ultimately, they will not succeed. If we're trusting in all these things that we can see, they're going to let us down. People will let us down. right? We'll let ourselves down as well. Because we are acting like the man after Saul's own heart. That's what Saul did. He did what was right in his own eyes. He, he feared man, he did not fear God, and we see where it led him. And so for Saul, right, doing what was right, uh, doing what was right in his own eyes led to his death. And it wasn't just death for him, he, he killed himself, right? Suicide was the, the, the death that it led to for Saul. He feared the Philistines and the way that they would thrust him through and mistreat him. And so they're like, you know what, this is what's best for me. I'm going to just take my own life so I'm not having to deal... With them, Right. That's that's what happened to Saul. He was God's anointed. God had promised victory to his people. Right. These were things that he was going to do. This was God's promised land that he was going to give to his people. So victory was theirs for the taking. If they trusted in God, if they did the things that God had said, they wouldn't have to worry about anything. Would there be casualties? Sure. But ultimately, they would win these battles because the Lord is their banner. He is their strength. He is their tower. He was doing these things for them. But because of his disobedience, because of his unbelief, there was no trust in the Lord in what he had said, what he had spoken, what he had already done in the life of the Israelites, delivering them out of the land of slavery in Egypt, parting the Red Sea and doing all these magnificent, wondrous, uh, miraculous things already. He had already proven himself and he didn't have to over and over again, but it wasn't enough for Saul. It wasn't enough for him. So it's like, well, yeah, I I can't trust that this is what's going to happen I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to take my own life. That's what seemed right in his own eyes. Now, before we go on, right, since this topic is broached in this passage, uh, I do feel it's necessary to mention suicide. I, that's not the purpose of this sermon or the purpose of this passage, but uh, I do believe it. since it's here, we should we should bring it up. And I think most of us, if not all of us, have been, uh, touched by suicide in some form or fashion, um, whether it be a loved one, a friend, uh, the, the, the cousin or friend of a loved one, all of us have, have known someone that has experienced this, and, and it's it's a difficult topic, it's a touchy topic, it's, it's very nuanced, right, when we think about people that we know, uh, but if we were to go to scripture, right, and look for instances of suicide, in particular, there's... There's five instances that, that I was able to find. Four are um, Saul, Judas, uh, Ahithophel, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, and Zimri. All these are found in the, well, uh, Ahithophel is in 2 Samuel, and then uh, Zimri is found in First in, in Kings, I believe. And none of these are viewed in a, a positive light. None of them are, right? There, something happened, some sin was exposed, impending death was coming, and they, they killed themselves. Uh, but then you've got Samson, right, who was stripped of all his powers and everything, and he asked for God one last time to, to kill these Philistines, and he killed himself in the process. So we get these different instances in Scripture of suicide, right? Um, now, I say all of that to say this. <clears throat> suicide, according to Scripture, is not the unforgivable sin, right? It's not mentioned that way in Scripture. We don't see a, a verse that calls that out specifically. Um, that's blasphemy against Holy Spirit. That that's what the unforgivable sin is, and if we think about life now, right? Life is complex, and and we can't we can't boil down someone's salvation to a single instance in their life. Okay, we can't do that. But for Saul, right? When we look at Saul's life, because because uh, I'm not going to speak for anybody outside of Scripture, but when we think about Saul and his life, this was a lifelong. Um, process of a a downward spiral in his life, right? We see clearly for Saul where his heart was, where he was headed, his unbelief, his disobedience, and it's it's fairly clear for us to make an assumption about Saul based on what scripture tells us about him. Uh, But what we need to think about for us today, right, when we think about this in society, because it is a an epidemic, right, in, in culture, suicide is is high as far as uh, death counts are concerned. Um, what we have to think about, according to that, is the fact that what we are called to do is to continually serve sacrificially to the world, right? We need to be ministers of God's gospel, sharing that gospel in the hopes that no one ever has to experience that type of death and, and leave their loved one's To pick up the pieces, right? That that should be the desire for our hearts. Is I'm going to do what I can, what I'm able to do, in order that this person does not feel that level of despair or um, depression or whatever. That that at least for me, I'm able to do what I can to help them, right? That should be the desire of my heart uh, as I as I as this occurs, because it's it's a real thing. It's it's very evident. Um, But once again. This is, it's, it's not about, I, I can't say where their eternal state is, right? I can't do that. I'm not going to, uh, but it is a reality of our world, and we have a responsibility uh, to people to share the gospel with them, uh, to share the gospel with them and to serve them. So as we come back to our passage, that's the, the frailty of Saul and his death, right? It, his decisions, what seemed right to him, led to his demise. It led to him killing himself. Uh, Now, after his death, we're going to look at the fallout that occurs after his death. And in this, we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. So what goes on here, the next day after his death, the Philistines come and they plunder, right? They come and strip the bodies of of their jewelry, of whatever they wanted, right? This is theirs for the taking. Uh, They find Saul and his sons, potentially from the, the type of armor they were wearing, right? As king, he probably would have been set apart with what he was wearing. But they cut off his head and then they take the bodies to put them on display uh, against the wall of Bethshan. The thought is that there was this fortified city and then they would just nail them or hang them or put them on the wall to display and let their bodies be rot rot away, to let their bodies just rot away. Now, doing this uh, may seem like barbaric, which it probably is, uh, but that was kind of commonplace for different battles that would occur, right? When tribes would battle, They would do that and far worse. And Saul was aware of this because he says it himself, like, kill me because what they're going to do, they're going to kill me, but they're going to mistreat me as well. So the thought was potential torture, mocking, humiliation, right? A lot of times these kings and lords and different people would be dragged through town after they stripped them of everything and just to just brutalize them and and, um, do heinous things to them. So this is something that would have been on the mind of Saul uh, whenever he thought about what would happen to him if he was captured and, um, and they lost. But as I read this passage, right, as we go through these five, six verses here, um, I, was, I was convicted by the response of these valiant men that are mentioned here. Because um, I think it's more than just the fact that these bodies were desecrated. Um, the thing that, that really ministered to me as I, as I read this and really, like, challenged me is the fact that these men from Jabesh-Gilead, the second they caught wind of what was happening to Saul and, and, the, and his sons, immediately they got up, middle of the night, and they took off to go grab those bodies. Right? This is what they did. There was no, oh, man, it's late. You know, we, we can go get them in the morning. You know, yeah, they, they ain't going anywhere. right? That, that wasn't the thought. It was, no, we need to go now. Like it, we, we should have been on the road minutes ago. right? We should have left a long time ago. And when I, when I think about that right I think about Saul right Saul is an individual he was he was not a, a good guy uh, he was he was a tyrant right he slaughtered the priest right the Levitical priest slaughtered them he was seeking after David's life he was doing these battles and fighting these doing these things that that met his own interest that that was what his desire was so if you have these people in these different towns and villages that are basically being used for his own purpose uh, there, there would be plenty of reason for there to be disdain against this king. But in spite of this, right, in spite of him being decapitated, their bodies being um, desecrated, right, they, they could have easily said, hey, you know, this is what you get, you know, this is what you get for acting that way, right? You want to be a tyrant, you want to do, you know, these type of things. God don't like ugly, right? This is just where you end up. Uh, but that's not what they did, right? They They sought to... Get his body and, and prevent any further dishonoring, disrespect, or once again desecration to his body. Now, why is this convicting for me? Right. Well, when I think about that and I think about my own life, right. There's people that are over me in my life. Right. There's people that I answer to. Uh, I may not answer to a earthly king, but we have a president. We have governors. We have different officials. I have a, a supervisor and and bosses at work. Um, different things like that, right? There's different areas of my life where there's people that I answer to. And so when I think about that versus them, right, I don't have people getting murdered and then, or, you know, yeah, killed and then being strung up on walls uh, to be displayed. But when there's, these people are spoken of, or when I think about them, Right? Is, is that what's happening in my mind or through my words? Am I stringing these people up for them to be dishonored, for them to be disrespected, uh, for them to be dragged through the mud? Right? And, and maybe, maybe you're not the type to do that, but when their names are brought up, are you joining in? Do you sit back and not say anything? Or are you standing up for them? Are you seeking to figuratively take their bodies off these walls to prevent them from being disrespected? I think that's something that that you know I if for me the way that my mind works if it's true I'm like yeah if that shoe fits wear it right I'm like hey this is what they did this is what they get that that's where my mind tends to go but when I think about what these valiant men did um, they put themselves in harm's way by going into enemy territories and grabbing this body in order for them to not be further disrespected or or dishonored and uh, I, I think that's a, a very convicting thing, I think it's something that we can learn from. Because ultimately, right, Saul wasn't, he wasn't a good guy, but he wasn't the worst guy that ever lived either, right? He was, he was bad, uh, but he wasn't that bad. He, he deserved everything he got, um, but he, he wasn't all bad throughout his life. And I think it's, it's not coincidental, the fact that the, the people from Jabesh Gilead, the Gileadites, were the ones who came to his rescue. This is something else that we should keep in mind I mentioned this earlier from chapter 11, right? The people of Jabesh Gilead were the people that were confronted and they were told to either lay down and get their eyes plucked out or they would, they would kill them. This is what was mentioned earlier. And Saul was the one, right as he's becoming king, he's plowing fields and then he throws those things down, he gathers up people and they go and they deliver the people of Jabesh Gilead. And so potentially, although this is many years later, this could have been the, the parents, uh, or the grandparents of these valiant men that are seeking to grab his body uh, and his sons at this time, right? They would have it would have been known to them in their recent past that, yes, this king is terrible. Yes, he's done terrible things. But he there was a point in time where he delivered us and and helped us out a lot. And uh, I think that's I think that's a really cool thing. So when we think about this, the frailty of Saul, right, which led to his demise, and we think about this fallout which caused his body to be desecrated, head to be cut off, and You know, put up, but then we see these men who go and retrieve the body in order to limit the uh, disparaging and dishonor that's shown to him, we can kind of see the regret that that should be had for him as king in one sense, but then we also get this glimpse of grace, this this silver lining in the fact that God still worked through these people to save this body and and to give us an example of how we are to act, uh, even in light of, of terrible leaders. And so I think that's something that, that, um, that really helped me when I was thinking about it, because this dude was, he wasn't a good guy, once again, right? Some people think we've got a, a good president right now. Some people think we don't. But either way, right, that office is to be respected, right? We should pray for our leaders. We should do all that. And so it doesn't matter who's there, how bad their performance is, right, or how good you think it is, regardless of what's going on, right? What is our... Uh, duty as servants, right? We are to serve these, we are to pray for our leaders. Uh, we are to honor them, honor the emperor, is what uh, Peter says. So that is, that is, that should be the, the, the posture of our heart is that we do that type of thing, that we should show love, right? Because it is God who first loved us, and without Him, we are incapable of showing love to anyone. So that's the frailty, that's the fallout. Um, now, Since we've kind of walked through these verses, um, we're gonna continue on with the faith of Saul, right? The faith that Saul had. And since we've already gone through our verses, where are we gonna go? Well, there is a parallel passage of what's going on here in 1 Samuel 31 in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. And so we're gonna turn there and kind of conclude, apply, and do all this for our sermon. We're gonna kind of bring it to a close as we turn there. Uh, But 1 Chronicles 10, is almost verbatim what's, what's being said here in, uh, in 1 Samuel 31 but then in the last two verses we get some, some added commentary as, to far, as far as what was going on a little more detail as far as what was going on here in 1 Samuel let me get a drink real quick so yeah 1 Samuel 10 verses 13 and 14 this is what it says Right, like I said, it, it's pretty similar. If you read through both of these, it's, it, the language is real similar. There's words that are taken out here and there, some words that are added. But for the most part, those first 11 verses, they're pretty spot on with what was said in 1 Samuel. So it says this in verse 13. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord, therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. All right, so this, this gives us some clarity as to what was going on, why it happened the way it did, all of that, right? And this is one of the few times, right, we, we say things here at the church like scripture interprets scripture, right? We have to take into account the whole counsel of God's word, Genesis to Revelation to really understand anything because there's times where things aren't as clear as others and there's times where portions of scripture help bring to light uh, other portions of scripture and that's what we have here. right? If we're reading 1 Samuel 31 and then we read uh, 1 Chronicles 10 it sheds a little more light as to what was going on and why it occurred the way it did. And so what we see here is um, Saul's disobedience and unbelief ultimately led to his demise. That's what ultimately happened here, right? This breach of faith, this broke faith that he had with the Lord, Those that was his demise. And if we, like I said, as we read all of scripture, this is no different than what the author of Hebrews says concerning, maybe not the same words, but the same idea is what's being told about the Israelites that travel through the wilderness. So I wanted to read a passage from uh, Hebrews 3 as well. You can turn there or you can just uh, you don't have to but this is what said there concerning the faith of those people it says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion on that day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years therefore i was provoked with that nation uh, excuse me generation and said they always go astray in their hearts they have not known my ways as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. as verses uh, seven through 11. Well then, if we go down to verse 18, we get a little more expansion on this, this topic here. And it says this, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief, right? That That's what occurred for the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness. That's what's happened to Saul. Right? That's what separates anyone, uh, sepa- excuse me, that's what separates anyone from those who will enter God's rest versus those who will not enter God's rest, right? Belief or unbelief? Obedience, disobedience, right? And it's not the fact that we obey and that's how we enter into his presence. It's we believe, therefore we obey, right? We don't believe, therefore we disobey. Right? It, that's how it works. If we believe, then we obey. If we, diso- if we don't believe, then we won't obey. And this was Saul's breach of faith. It wasn't a, a loss of salvation for Saul. He, he never truly possessed it. Right? This broken faith, this dead faith, this breach of faith for Saul was because he had an unregenerate heart. Right? Many of us, right? we've heard in Matthew 7, many on that day will, tell, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? Right? These are people who claim to be Christians, right? people who claim to profess a faith in Christ. There's many of those. right? There's many, many people who do that, but it's those who possess a living faith that, that have a life that produces fruit and that sees the, the work of the Holy Spirit work in their life that truly possess faith. And I, I don't know if y'all recall this, I didn't see it until I read from our confession this morning, but it kind of correlates with that as well. We kind of saw that in that in that uh, paragraph, that it's it's the Spirit's work within the believer uh, that, that makes it evident about their salvation. I, I can attest to that in our life, right? There's many a times we've gone through stuff where there is no reason for me or my wife to be uh, joyful or at peace or whatever in our lives, and it's like, you're going through something and God just carries you through it, right? He, just, he is just there for you. And you're like, I don't understand why I'm not upset. I don't know why I'm not sad. I don't know why I am not just broken by this. Like it, it, I don't like the fact that I'm going through this, but there is just, God is carrying me along through this whole time. Amen, right? It, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be found in the hands of God. And, and as we read earlier in John 10, No one could snatch us us out of his hands, right? We hear his voice, we follow, we're there. He he sustains us, he's got us. There there is no need to fear, not because we hold on to him, but because, because he holds on to us. So when we look at this work, right, we see this contrast between David and Saul in chapters 30 and 31, right? For David... Right, or for, excuse me, for Saul, we see what, what led to his de- demise, right? It was unbelief, it was disobedience, it was no trusting in what God has done for him, and it led to his death. Uh, but when we look at David's life, what we've seen so far in 1 Samuel, it's not that David was blameless, or he lived a perfect life, right? Over and over again, right? He is, he's doing wrong, right? He was attacking the people of God. We've seen that earlier. Uh, but in spite of this, God is still working through him, uh, and it's a beautiful thing to see, right? Whenever we see bonehead decisions being made, uh, but then when God speaks, his sheep hear him and they follow. That, that's the difference, right? When, when the word goes forth and it is a, a goat, someone who is not God's sheep, it falls on deaf ears because he's not their shepherd. But when the word goes forth and the sheep hear it, they respond. And so that's what we see in the difference between Saul and David, right? Right? David did similar dumb things as, as Saul, but as God's word went forth, there was repentance, there was remorse, there was a desire to turn from those things and to honor God with his life, but we see with Saul, there was excuses, there were, there were other things that, that his faith was in, right? His faith was in maintaining protection for himself, self-preservation, self-assurance, all these things that point back to self, that's where his heart uh, was lying, <clears throat> but once again, as I said, when God called, David followed. When Saul, when God called, or when, when Saul heard the voice of the Lord, th- there was no obedience. There was no belief. He just, he just did what he wanted. So when we think about these two men, right, when we think about the way Scripture has laid these things out for us, as we think about the things that seem right in our own eyes, I want to ask us a question today. Do you hear God calling you? Whenever God's word goes forth and we see and hear the things that we are called to do, what is our response? Is it following him or is it, well, you know, is it fear of man, right? Is it fear of God or fear of man, right? Are there any desires in your life that seem right, but deep down, you know that they're selfish, they're self-serving, they they ultimately don't honor God and Christ, in, in what, they, what they produce. Like Saul, do you try to coach your disobedience with offers of sacrifice in order to appease God uh, for, to try to be okay with the things that you've done in disobedience? Right, a lot of times that, that's what we do, right? That's what Saul did, right? He gathered all this livestock and God had told him not to do it. Well, he, he sacrificed the choice ones and was like, look, I, you know, I know you said not to do this, but, you know, we're offering these sacrifices to you. What did God say? He's like, I don't desire sacrifice, I desire uh, obedience. That's what I desire from you is obedience. There, there's no reason for sacrifice if you're obeying, right? If you are believing what I've said, if you're doing the things I've called you to, there's no reason to ask for forgiveness, right? We are in line and are, you're doing the things that I have called you to. So ultimately, right, the, the, the question that we should be asking ourselves when we think about this, if we hear God calling, when we see obedience, when we see disobedience, what all that boils down to is who do we fear more, God or man? Right? Where, where is our heart? What Ultimately, what are we fearing more? Is it God or man? And I think we need to be honest with ourselves um, because I think it, there's more things that we fear than God uh, than, than we realize. But as we close, uh, I, we've seen what a breach of faith leads to, right? When someone who is just faithless, Right, we see what that leads to. It leads to disobedience, leads to unbelief. Ultimately, ultimately, it leads to death. And that's what doing what's right in your own eyes is. Right, when, when whenever something comes up, I get upset. Am I trying to, in my anger, not sin, or am I trying to justify the reasons why I act the way that I act? Right, where where is my heart? Right. Well, you know, they shouldn't have done this to me. I'm just, you know, th- this is what they get for treating me that way. Right. where, where is my heart? Is it doing what seems right to me? Or is it doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? And this leads us back to our title, right? Do you desire to be a man after Saul's own heart, doing what's right in your own eyes? Or do you desire to be a man after God's own heart and and listening to the voice of God, heeding his word and, and following in his commands, trusting in him and what he has commanded of us? Because one way leads to life. The other way leads to death. So if you hear his voice right now, follow him right believe the gospel believe what he has said is true trust in christ throw everything else away because everything else is sinking sand there is nothing that is worth it he is that pearl of great price Uh, he is the only thing that is truly precious to us in this life seek him while he may be found let us pray